I have a really steep driveway uh, up to my house. And this last week with all of the snow and the ice that we got, it makes it just downright treacherous. So I have learned that I need to shovel it out before I try and get the car out because if I drive over it, then it just becomes ice and I can't get up the next time. So I had all of this in my mind when it came to taking the trash out. And the weather was so lousy all week long, I kept expecting I've got the little trash app and I kept expecting that I would get the notification saying no trash pickup this week because we can't get our trucks out because of sickness, what have you. And I never got it. Trash day's Friday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday night for sure, I thought, we're gonna get the notification that trash pickup is canceled for tomorrow because the weather was terrible and we didn't get it. So, you know, it's Christmas and it's recyclables. We've got all this junk and all this cardboard. I'm like, I'm gonna get this out. So I took my life in my hands and I got both of my barrels down my driveway and out to the spot where I put them. And I went back in thinking, that's great. I'm so glad, yay for the trash people. I got up the next morning and at 7.25, I got a text from Murray's saying, yeah, we've canceled all the trash. And I'm like, what? I could have told you on Monday that you were not going to be able to pick up the trash. Did you not look outside? Who is it that is running your organization? And all of a sudden I went, oh my gosh, I have become that person. I have no idea why they canceled. Maybe everybody was sick. Who knows what happened? I really don't know. And I have to make judgment calls often enough that I know what it's like to have people Monday morning quarterback me. And I thought, I don't have the information. I don't wanna be that guy who is just assuming that everybody over at American Disposal is an idiot. That is at the core of the scripture we're going to look at this morning. It comes out of Matthew 7, 12, where Jesus says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, the golden rule. And then Jesus goes on and says, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, you probably have grown up knowing the golden rule. Maybe you didn't even know that it was Jesus who said it. And he says it in one of his first major addresses to his followers. And it ends up being critically important to our understanding of what it means to love God, what it means to follow Jesus, and what it means to live as a Jesus follower in our society. Because this verse, do to others what you would have them do to you, is at the core of the Christian ethic. Most scholars find a parallel in some teaching that Jesus does later, which will be familiar to you too. It's out of Matthew 22. And a teacher comes to Jesus and says, teacher, what is the greatest command in the law? And Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So it's pretty crazy to think that everything in the Bible is summed up in do to others what you would have them do to you. Love God, love others. Lots of words summed up in something really easy to remember. But there's more to explore in it than that. 
with the beginning of the new year, we're starting a new sermon series. Uh, hashtag Life Hacks by Jesus. We're getting so much information about what our lives should look like, who to trust, who not to trust, what will fulfill us, what won't fulfill us, what will make us happy, what won't, how to lose weight, how to exercise, who to hate. But we want to begin the year with what Jesus says. Now, these life hacks are not self-help tips. What they are is tips from Jesus on how to live our lives in, for the way that we were created. We want to align our lives with what Jesus teaches so that we can live the life that Jesus wants us to live and be the type of people that Jesus wants us to be so that we can experience the love and the joy and the peace and the hope that Jesus brings and share that with other people too. So we're going to start this year with the sermon series looking at ourselves, our priorities, our thoughts, our behaviors, and looking at how we can make our lives more closely aligned to what Jesus teaches. And so here is a very clear teaching of Jesus. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Now, I want to back up a little bit and provide a little bit of context because as I said before, this sums up the entire Christian ethic, that is, how we live our lives, how we behave, what we think is important in behavior, in attitude. But behind it is a foundational truth of our faith, which we shouldn't miss, and that is that the world is not random. We don't believe that just enough time passed and all the atoms collected themselves into what we have today. We believe that everything was created by God and that God has a plan and a purpose. And the Bible shows us that we're kind of living in this in-between time between the way things were in the Garden of Eden and the way things will be in the New Jerusalem, the way things were created in the book of Genesis and the way things will end up or the beginning, uh, in, uh, beginning again in the book of Revelation. So what characterizes those things? Because if God created things good and it's going to end up good, what characterizes those places and how are we moving from one to the next? Well, in the first couple of chapters when you have the, the various creation accounts, uh, in Genesis 1, everything is good. Everything is in harmony and there was more than enough for everyone. There was more than enough to go around. In Genesis chapter 2, we find out that human relationships and the environment were a safe place. There was no fear of anything bad psychologically or sexually or emotionally or mentally or physically happening to you. It was a safe place. And a lot of that is encapsulated in one very simple phrase. It says of Adam and Eve that they were naked and unashamed. So that can be physical nakedness, but I think there's also some emotional and psychological nakedness there too. There was no reason to put up barriers because nobody was going to hurt you. And then in Genesis chapter 3, we see that God spent time with them. That was a regular part of their day. They used to go for walks together in the evening. And then the great middle happens. Sin happens, evil comes in, death happens, decay, and everything goes awry and God sets about fixing it again. And so we leap over the middle to the end at Revelation, and we get a picture there of how it's going to end. So Revelation 21, three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, 
God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. So getting back to spending time God among us again. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So everything that sin and death and decay uh, brought into the world will be taken out of the world. Revelation 22, And the leaves of the tree in the middle of the garden for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. So everything is restored. It's a safe place again. So we're moving from one place to the next, from one garden to another. And this is foundational to our beliefs. Things are not random. Things are not accidental. Things do go awry because evil is in the world, but God has a plan and a purpose, and he is surely calling us into a good future. So for us who live in the middle, how do we transition from one place to the next? And actually, Christmas begins the answer. God comes among us and begins to set things aright, begins to make things new. And every place Jesus goes, and every place Jesus' followers go, at least potentially, there the kingdom of God exists, changing things. Jesus is the one who shows us what this is like. And we get the opportunity to live into a kingdom reality now. Jesus says the kingdom of God is among you, not someday, but now. We get to live with one foot firmly planted in the new reality of what God is doing. So what does it look like to live in that kingdom, to live in the process of moving to the new creation? Well, surprisingly, there aren't too many rules. There are a lot less rules than people were think, are thinking. I remember when we were setting up our church's organizing principles. Uh, we wanted something that people could remember. And so we came up with three things that we thought anybody can remember those three things. We don't have 15, we only have three. And Jesus takes all of the law and all of the prophets and he sums it up this way. Do loving things to other people. Love God, love people, do to others what you would have them do to you. Why do you think that Jesus really emphasizes how we treat others? I think he does it because love for God, while real, is somewhat abstract. And the Apostle John says, how can you say you love God if you can't love your brother or sister? How can you say that you've been changed by God if your life isn't changed in the way that you treat other people? So our relationship with God always works its way out in how we treat others. This verse is so important. When Jesus says these two things, love becomes the dominant characteristic of what it means to follow Jesus. One of my buddies pastors a church that I get to go to every once in a while. And a couple of years ago, they made line, uh, lawn signs for everyone. And it says, love everyone always. Now, most of us have homeowners associations and we couldn't put up the yard signs, but I love that. And so you can drive all around this city and you can tell where this church people, where this church's people live because they've got their yard signs up. And I think it not only does it serve as a notice to the neighbors, but I think it also reminds them every time they pull into their driveway, love everyone always. It's uh, the ethic of Jesus. 
I mean, can you imagine a world where only good is done to other people? That sounds like paradise, right? So here's some practical ways to apply the scripture. First of all, we need to think of others. And lots of times we don't do that. We just get caught up in living our own lives. We got our game face on doing our own thing. But Jesus is the model of this because Jesus empties himself and enters into our world and thinks about us, not just about himself. And the question here is not just how do my actions affect others. The first step really is my actions affect others. So how am I going to change my actions? Because, and I say this all the time when I'm driving and somebody pulls out in front of me, I can see they never looked. I literally say out loud, just because you didn't look doesn't mean somebody isn't there. Somebody is always there. Our actions affect other people. So how do I want to affect other people? Everything I do today is going to affect someone else. How do I want to affect them? Will my actions help someone move further towards the coming kingdom of God? Or will they push them further away? You get to create, this is kind of stunning, you get to create the presence of the kingdom of God wherever you go, by your actions, by your attitudes, by how well you love and care for other people. So remember, you need to think about others and remember that they're there. I think the next trick is to look at things from the other person's perspective. I mean, God enters into our world to be like us. We have a Savior who was tempted in every way that we are, but without sin. We have a suffering Savior who has been through difficult things so that when we're in pain, he knows what it's like. We just sang one of my favorite Christmas carols, O Holy Night, and one of the lines in there is, in all our trials, born to be our friend. He knows our needs to our weakness is no stranger. He enters into our world. And it's important for us when we're dealing with other people to look at things from their perspective at least a little bit because it humanizes them. They become people who have backgrounds and stories and days and things that they ate that affected them. They're not just a source of annoyance. It humanizes them. And it helps us to not just assign some random motivation until we understand what may have made them do that. Try looking at things from somebody else's perspective when you're dealing with them. Next, and I don't know if this is obvious, but it's one of the first things that popped into my mind when I think about how I treat other people, doing to others as I would have them do to, you, to me. Do you tend towards, in your interaction with other people, do you tend towards gratitude or complaining? Do you tend towards encouragement or discouragement? And this is a really practical way to think about how you affect other people. Given the opportunity in conversation, do you express gratitude or do you complain? Given the opportunity when you're talking to other people, are you an encourager or do you bring people down? And I'm not talking about toxic positivity because some things are hard. I'm talking about how you have people over for dinner. Do you want them to say, what a great meal? Or do you want them to go, oh, you made this the last time we were here? If you're pregnant, do you want someone to say to you, what a blessing. Cherish these moments of preparation for what God is going to do in your life. 
Or do you want somebody to say, I was so miserable the entire time, and then I was in labor for 42 hours straight? I think I know which one I would want. See, lots of times, this doing to others as you would have them do to you is in the little things. The little things that we say and do, the offhanded remarks, the little bits of kindness. It's in the little things, except when it's not. Sometimes it's in the big things. And one of the biggest things is our reflexive response. What's your reflexive response to, your, to challenging situations? I mean, if something happens that surprises you that's out of the blue, how do you respond? For many people, it's anger or blaming others or running around like the sky is falling. One of my friends, Ray Johnston, said, people are like tea bags. You never know what's inside them until you put them in hot water because stress reveals what's really on the inside. And I know, and in fact, they've even told my staff and other people this, my first reaction is not always my best one. I'm still working on that reflexive thing. I, I think that there's growth, but I know that about myself. I love David's great prayer in Psalm 51 where he says, change my heart, O God. And that's really at the core of it, that we can be renewed, we can change. Do you want to just always respond with explosive anger or bitterness or hatefulness? Wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't your blood pressure be better? Wouldn't your relationships be better if instead you responded with kindness or if you at least counted to 10 before you started to respond to people? Right now at the beginning of the year is a great time to think about how we need to have God change our hearts this year. It's a great time to commit to a spiritual plan for the year. We become like the people we spend time with. So how can you spend more time with Jesus this year so that you can become more like him? It's a great time to memorize a psalm so that when you're in a stressful situation, you can take a moment to repeat the psalm to yourself and experience the presence of God in the stress. And in the stress, it might be a great time to to know that you are going to pray a prayer before you respond. Just don't say the prayer out loud. Lord Jesus, give me strength not to kill this fool standing in front of me. That would not help the situation. You can say that in your head, but don't say that out loud. Just a few moments can change our reflexive action. What will you put in place instead of just responding and flying off the handle? And sometimes, honestly, our reactions are handed down to us from our family of origin or the people that were around. And if you were handed down something that's unhealthy, you can relearn it. It relearns something else. It's not just you have to be stuck with that for forever. You can decide, I'm not gonna be like that and ask God to change your heart. And with some work on your part, he will. One of the things with that that I think is super helpful in responding and dealing with other people is to give charitable assumptions. It's like with the, the garbage people at the beginning of the sermon. I may, might not have all the information about why they made the decision that they did. I'm quite sure they didn't do it so that I might nearly die coming down my driveway. There are more important considerations than that. Most people do not get up in the morning and go, how can I make Michael miserable today? I'm just not that important. And they may not be an idiot. 
they may have made the best choice they could with the information that they have. So grant some charitable assumptions. Assume the best of people instead of assuming the worst. And then add to that a little extra grace. Some people just require a little extra grace. What does it cost you to be kind to those people? What does it cost you to not lose your temper? How long does it really delay you to stop for a moment and engage? One of the things that I've taken to do you know, with service people that I come across, whether it's the UPS or FedEx driver or somebody at the restaurant or the checkout at Safeway or whatever, is if I have a second, I almost always say, are people being nice to you today? And I get the greatest responses back. Sometimes they're like, yeah, people are being super nice. Other times like, it's been a really hard day. And it gives me an opportunity to say something nice or at least acknowledge that they might be having a rough day. Sometimes just a little bit of extra grace, a little bit of extra time is helpful. Now, when I said that there are people in our lives that require a little extra grace, you probably thought of someone. And maybe there's a person in your life that you realize you haven't been granting that extra grace or that you haven't been giving charitable assumptions to or you just haven't been treating the way that you should, the way that you wish that they would treat you. And maybe you can begin to think about how you can change those things. Because there's something that's hard here. You might already be thinking about this with some of the people who require extra grace. Here's the hard part. Doing to others the way that you wish that they would do to you, it's not always a reciprocal thing. And sometimes that's what ha what's hard. This is about your behavior. This is about your heart. It's not about how other people treat you. Th the command is to treat other people the way that you wish that they would treat you, not the way that they do. That's why as a follower of Jesus, you need to treat other people the way that you wish they would treat you, even if they don't respond to you in the same way. And part of the reason is we're living in a different reality. We're living in the kingdom of God. They're not. It's no wonder that they behave differently. Would we expect anything different? The other reason why I think it's important that we treat people that way, even if they don't treat us that way, is that people always notice our behavior, especially when it's a pattern. They always notice. It might take a while, but they do notice. You're called to treat people the way that you want them to treat you in spite of the way that people treat you. They might be hateful, but don't respond with hate because that will tell you more about you than it will about them. You respond the way that you wish they would respond to you. I don't think we should ever surrender the moral high ground, not so that we can have a holier-than-thou attitude, but because people are always looking and they will always notice whether or not we take the high road, particularly if we have said that we are followers of Jesus. Think about how nice it would be to not walk around saying, I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't sent that text. Oh, man. I did that again. Wouldn't that be great if you never had to worry about those things or going back and apologizing because you treated people kindly, you treated people lovingly, you treated people the way that you want to be treated first. 
As we begin this new year, I always find myself looking in two different directions. One is looking forward, looking for the hope and the promise of the year to come and the good things which I am absolutely sure about. But I also spend some time looking backward. And it was a challenging year, but there's also so many good things that went on. And I am so grateful to be a part of this community. I'm so grateful for the many, many people in this congregation who live lives generously. Whether it's giving of your time or your money, you, you truly reach out to people and you love people well. You love people the way that you want to be loved. And I want you to know that it makes a difference. And I'm beginning this year grateful for the example that so many of you set by the lives that you live. So let me ask you three questions. Number one, do you tend towards thankfulness or complaining? Number two, which person in your life do you need to treat differently? Number three, what emphasis will you place on growing in your relationship with God this year?